0: Welcome to the Chosen People Radio Program, a production of Chosen People Ministries. On this program, you'll hear inspiring stories, learn about messianic apologetics, and discover God's plan for Israel and you. Now let's welcome our hosts, Mitch Glazer, President of Chosen People Ministries, and Robert Walter, our New York Regional Director.
1: Shalom, friends, and welcome to the Chosen People Radio Program. We're excited because next weekend we'll be celebrating our second year on the air. And that's all because we have faithful friends like you who've been enjoying the program. During this second year, we're going to begin by talking about the festival of Passover. The spring festivals are so important to the Jewish people and to those of us who know Jesus, the Lamb of God, as our Messiah. As usual, we're going to try and cover some topics that you may not get to hear about every day at your local church. And so we're going to talk to you about the great jewish holiday of passover which we call pesach and joining me is my good friend and colleague someone who knows a lot about this topic and that's bobby walter bobby from brooklyn welcome bobby
2: (laughs) thank you mitch uh shalom to you and shalom to everyone who's listening out there Uh, as always we're very happy to be with you this weekend as we start our preparations for passover Uh, You know, Mitch, we've been hearing from so many people who will be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, our Lord and Savior this week, and we are just so grateful and thankful to be able to help you learn more about the history and heritage of your Christian faith. And I think it might be good if we actually go back to the beginning to discover where the Passover began.
1: And where's that?
2: Well, that's a good question, uh, (laughs) because (laughs) honestly, I mean, where is the beginning of Passover? There is a passage in the New Testament that talks about the Lamb of God being slain before the foundations of the world. So oh, There you go. <laughs> I mean, that's really going back.
1: Boy, that is, that's a great answer, actually. Yeah. It is. Uh, yeah. You know? Passover is one of those eternal holidays, huh? <laughs> that's,
2: it has eternal ramifications, I would it say. It does. But... Back to your question. Where does the Passover really begin? Now, we do get some hints at it in the book of Genesis, actually. Genesis 15, where God basically made a promise to Abraham that his descendants would be enslaved in a foreign land for over 400 years, and that ultimately God would step in to set them free. But really, where does the story of the Passover that we want to focus on today begin? It's, It's in the book of Exodus, right?
1: All right. Exodus chapter 12. Yes. Some of you have maybe been to a Passover Seder. Of Passover's uh, eight days. One day, according to Leviticus 23, one day is the Passover. Seven days is the Feast of Matzot, Feast of Unleavened Bread. Usually in Jewish homes on the first two nights of Passover, we have what's known as a Seder, S-E-D-E-R. It's the Hebrew word for order. And that's the liturgy for the evening. And basically, it's the Passover story of slavery and Redemption all woven into a beautiful service with, of course, food in the middle of that whole thing. With songs, with Q&A with the kids, but it's deeply rooted and grounded in the first Exodus in Exodus chapter 12. Mm -hmm. And so I'd like to begin at the beginning because for me, particularly since I became a believer at 19 years of age, the Passover is all about the Lamb. I mean, the lamb is center stage for the mm-hmm. Passover. I mean, in a sense, it was even when, when I was not yet a believer. But mm-hmm. when I became a believer, my gosh, the message of the lamb in the Passover is just so important to me. So let me read verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be the beginning of months for you. It's to be the first month of the year. So the Hebrew month, Nisan, not the car, The Hebrew month Nisan is the first month, so the first month for Jewish people in the Jewish calendar, which is a lunar calendar, usually comes somewhere between March and April, and so it's the month of Nisan, and so Passover, of course, is always a spring festival. So Moses continues, and he says, speak, verse 3, speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, now listen carefully, friends, because... The angels are in the details. (laughs) Okay? So on the 10th of this month, not the 9th, not the 8th, not the 12th, on the 10th of this month, the month of Nisan, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. If the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them, according to what each man should eat, you're to divide the lamb. Verse 5, very important. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or the goats. Now listen to the chronology here, friends. Verse 6, you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house in which they eat it. And then eat the flesh that same night, roast with fire and with unleavened bread, matzah, and bitter herbs. Don't boil it and don't eat it raw, but rather roast it with fire with its head and legs. And you shall not leave any over until morning. You shall burn the rest of it with fire. And then I'm just skipping ahead a little bit. It's the Lord's Passover at the end of verse 11. And here's why. Verse 12, for I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord God. Verse 13, and we'll we'll end there for a moment. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Obviously, where we get Passover. And no plague shall befall you to destroy you. When I strike the land of Egypt. Now, Bobby, I'm so glad you can be my rabbi because I want you now to go through what I just read Mm -hmm. and explain all of it in light of the New Covenant and the New Testament. Can you do that?
2: Uh, I will give it my best shot. All right, thanks. So I think there are three main connections that we can make between what you just read regarding the, the Passover lamb itself and what we see in the New Testament specifically with Jesus. The New Testament presents Jesus in Passover terms, right? When John the Baptist first saw Jesus coming toward him, what did he say? He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When Jesus died, what day was it? Well, it was Passover. Uh, Do we think that's a coincidence? No. God could have chosen any day but he chose to do it on Passover. And then one of my favorite verses in the New Testament is in uh, 1 Corinthians 5-7, where mm. Paul, talking about the, the sacrifice of Jesus, says that Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. Right. So, he was talking about the sacrifice of Yeshua, the sacrifice of Jesus, using Passover terms, basically saying that Jesus is our Passover lamb. So, what are these connections that we can make? Well, the first one that really stands out to me is when the lamb was brought into the home on the 10th day of the first month, right? It coincides when we go to John chapter 12, verses 1, and also John 12, verses 12 through 15, and we see the triumphal entry of Jesus. uh, We can sort of calculate exactly what day it was, when he made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And it would have been this same exact day, the 10th day of the first month, when the lamb was being brought into the house.
1: So that was six days before the Passover. Jesus went to have some kind of dinner with his old friends, Mary, right. Martha, and, and Martha, excuse my New York, and Lazarus. Right. And, uh, but then he, he was not greeted in the most friendly of terms the next day, was he? Not exactly. There was a really
2: resounding welcome that he received as people brought out the palm fronds and laid them down uh, before him as he was riding in on a, on a donkey or on the colt, and they were shouting out Psalm 118, Hoshiana, Lord save us. Really, in many ways, it was like a greeting that was worthy of a king.
1: Do you think that the Jewish people confused Passover and tabernacles where we use the palm fronds and put them on top of the roofs of our booths so that we can see to the heavens do you think it was a mistake or do you think they conflated the holidays a bit my opinion i think
2: they conflated the holidays mm. i think it was intentional Because the last time that they saw Jesus uh, in in Jerusalem for a major holiday, a pilgrimage holiday, in John's gospel was in John 7 and John 8. Jesus made a huge statement at the end of John 7, where he was basically claiming to be God in the flesh by saying that he was the source of living water. So when they greeted him with those palm fronds, I would argue that it was uh, their way of saying, hey, we remember what you said at tabernacles. Come and fulfill it. You know, we we believe uh, that you are indeed this king.
1: Remember, a lot of these folks were, were still looking for a king who would overthrow the Romans and, you know, mm-hmm. and, and uh, he came in humbly on the foal of a donkey again they thought he would save us when they said save us save us I don't think they were talking about saving us from our sins right I think they were talking about save us from the Romans establish the Davidic kingdom let's right. get this let's get this show on the road you know and uh, you, you didn't do it during Tabernacles we heard what you said about the living waters but you know we want to see the rest of the thing happen with you right. the Romans get theirs but Jesus well earlier he had said that he said his his mind and his heart and his face like flint uh, towards Jerusalem to fulfill what God had given him as his holy destiny, which was to ultimately become a sacrifice for sin. So maybe the Jewish people didn't fully understand uh, what they were saying, save us, save us, and welcoming a king who didn't come exactly as they hoped. However, Jesus was doing exactly what he was supposed to do, right. particularly according to Isaiah 53. Because in Isaiah 53, we read about him being a, like a sheep led to a slaughter. like And so there's no doubt in that Jesus understood that he was a sacrificial lamb and that he was headed to Jerusalem for his last trip and that his destiny was to die for the sins of the Jewish people and for the whole world. So I, I don't think that these... Uh, Jewish people, I think they were sincere, but I don't think they completely understood what was about to happen. So then, what did happen, Bobby?
2: Well, I think another point of connection between Jesus and the the Lamb of God from Exodus 12 is that after the triumphal entry, for those days that he was in Jerusalem during that week leading up to the cross, he was examined just like the Lamb was being examined. In Exodus 12.5, we read that the, the Lamb had to be unblemished and perfect and spotless. Right. Well, so too, Jesus went through this examination period where different teachers and leaders and scribes and sages would come up to him while he taught in the temple courts in Jerusalem during that week, and they would try to find a defect in him. But in the end, and really we see this in Mark 14, verses 53 through 65, in the end, they could find no defect in him. They could find that he was indeed unblemished.
1: Tempted in every way.
2: Yeah, but without sin
1: without sin. That's what we theologians call it, the impeccability of Christ. So what happened when uh, Jesus got to Jerusalem and celebrated the Passover? Um, That's in, in a number of passages, but I think in Luke 22 is one of the primary passages. And how did Jesus pull it all together between Exodus and even Jeremiah and his teaching ministry to his disciples?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think what what's amazing about that, and we could probably spend hours talking about this, but the night before he went to the cross, as Passover came, he gathered in the upper room with his disciples, and he ate the Passover meal with them. And mm. what is beautiful about it is he used the traditional elements that were on that table that night uh, to celebrate those magnificent redemptive acts that God performed for Israel in Egypt so many thousands of years ago. He used the elements from that celebration as a springboard to reveal who he was and what he was about to do, to let his disciples at that table know, and even his disciples today know, that he was coming to bring a greater exodus a deliverance not just from slavery in Egypt, but a deliverance from slavery in sin.
1: This was a regular Passover. It was always celebrated on that night. In fact, Jesus grew up celebrating the Passover. Not only Jesus, but all his disciples were Jewish. Mm -hmm. They all grew up celebrating the Passover, and I wish I could have been at that Passover. So he makes two statements, one around the bread and one around the wine. Do you want to talk about those, Bobby?
2: Yes, Mitch. We see something amazing there at that table, uh, because what Jesus does is he takes that particular bread, which would have been matzah, which is unleavened, and leaven is, you know, usually used as a picture of sin in the Bible. Thank God, leaven in and of itself is not sinful, you know? So he's using this unleavened bread, which would have been pierced, and at this particular point in the meal, it's possible that he was using what was called the afikomen, this special bread that is broken and wrapped in a cloth and then hidden away and then brought back so that everybody can partake together. And it's possible, again, that he used that particular bread to say, this is my body. Uh, I was pointing to what he was about to go through in his body as he died Mm. on the cross. And then he used that cup right afterwards, which, uh, you know, today there are four cups in the Passover Seder, in the Passover meal. And the third cup, which goes hand in hand with the Afikomen, uh, is the cup of redemption, which reminds us of that, uh, that shed blood of the lamb that paid the price for Israel's redemption from slavery in Egypt. And again, it's possible that Jesus took that particular cup and said, this is my blood in the new covenant. And for me, this has always really been amazing because, again, when we look at the connections between the Passover lamb and Exodus 12 and what Jesus has done for us, this is really a very important point for us, and it's this. There is power in the blood, right? There is power in the blood of the lamb. So, in Exodus 12, verses 7, and in verse 13, we see that. Uh, it says this, moreover, verse 7, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat. And then later on in verse 13, it says, The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So, way back in Exodus, again, there was power in the blood. That was the, the operative means that God used to shield his people and deliver his people from his wrath.
1: If by faith, you have applied the blood of the Lamb to the doorposts of your hearts, then the wrath of God has actually passed over you.
2: Yeah, and I love that you point that out, uh, because again, when we come to the New Testament, and we see the power in the blood of the Lamb Jesus, it is on full display. And I, I love how Peter puts it in First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. It says this, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Messiah.
0: Noted Dallas Theological Seminary professor Dr. Daryl Bach tells us, Plagues are a way for God to get our attention. And in the Gospels, the Messiah warns His disciples that pestilence will be one of the signs of the last days of human history. So does that mean we're living in the end times? In a time of global pandemic, people are understandably frightened and wanting answers. So if you would like to know what the Bible teaches about pestilence, plagues, and pandemics, be sure to call us and ask for your free copy of Joel Rosenberg's booklet today. It's available right now when you go online to chosenpeople.com radio. That's chosenpeople.com radio. Or request the booklet, Pestilence, Plagues, and Pandemics, What Does the Bible Teach? When you call 888-2-YESHUA. That number again is 888-293-7482. We look forward to hearing from you soon. And thanks for reaching out.
2: Welcome back. You're listening to The Chosen People. And right now, as we prepare our hearts to celebrate Passover, which begins on Wednesday, April 5th at sunset, we're going to turn our attention to Joshua Aaron, a friend of this ministry and a Messianic worship leader in Israel who's reaching many people worldwide for the Lord.
3: Hallelujah. From where you are around the world, hallelujah. Amazing that we have these tools to get to worship together. And I want to share these last couple choruses. These are the songs you might even know, but I'm going to sing them in Hebrew. The good news has gone from this land, off from this tiny little country. Our Messiah, the greatest Jewish rabbi, the greatest rabbi that ever lived, the Son of the Living God. His message has gone forth around the world, and now it's coming back, back here to Israel. So I want to sing of His greatness now uh, in Hebrew. So sing this with me. In a God. Amen. I want to sing this last chorus. It's very recent to many of your ears, but this is a song we've been singing throughout uh, throughout Judaism. It's called the Bukata the, the, the Aaronic Benediction. And I recently heard it from Carrie Joe and I thought, man, what an amazing thing that the church is now hearing this Aaronic blessing uh, through a Christian song we know it here in Israel as, you know, this prayer that we've been praying, that the, Prayer that God Himself taught us to pray in Numbers chapter 6. And I'm going to pray this over you as I conclude.
4: This. <laughs>
2: You're listening to The Chosen People, which is produced and sponsored by Chosen People Ministries. We want to thank you so much for joining us today. Our discussion today focused on the spring feasts, and if you'd like to learn more about the Jewish history and heritage of your Christian faith, then be sure to connect with us online at chosenpeople.com radio. We've got a ton of resources and articles, and you can even request a free copy of Joel Rosenberg's book, Pestilence, Plagues, and Pandemics, What Does the Bible Teach?
1: Chosen People Ministries is dedicated to engaging and training local churches for Jewish evangelism, especially during these biblical holy days. And one of the ways we accomplish this ministry is by providing resources and materials that will deepen your understanding of what the Bible actually teaches, so that you can actually see the scriptures from a Jewish perspective. And if you'd like to learn more about what the Bible says about the end times and God's judgment, then please ask for your copy of Joel Rosenberg's book, Pestilence, Plagues, and Pandemics, when you visit us online at chosenpeople.com radio.
2: Or you can ask for Joel Rosenberg's book when you call us at 888 293 7482. And when you connect with us today, don't forget to let us know where and how you're listening to this program. And now let's wrap up today's program with the ironic Benediction. <laughs>